Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Today, uh, we are concluding a series that we have been in for the last month entitled, Are We There Yet? Turn to somebody next to you, slap them on the shoulder and ask them the question, are you there yet? Are you there yet? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Nice. Uh, During this series, we have been tapping into that familiar frustration of delay in this journey of faith. If you would call yourself a believer this morning and you're following Jesus to the best of your ability, I think we share something in common, and that is this feeling from time to time that we should be further along in our journey than we are currently. We begin to think, man, there's some things I should have figured out by now or some disciplines I should have developed by now, some mindsets I should have abandoned by now, some fears I should have gotten over by now. And as we've been talking about since the beginning of this year, keeping with our theme for 2023 of every promise, there are some promises that I read about in scripture that I feel like I should be experiencing by now. And so during these last four weeks, we've We've been not just identifying and acknowledging that feeling, but we've been asking ourselves a very simple question. Why am I not there yet? What is it that I'm doing or not doing that seems to be keeping me from stepping into all of the things that Jesus promises us through the scriptures? What is it? And we've offered a disclaimer every week. I'll offer it again one more time today. And that disclaimer is this. Sometimes the why in delay is God's divine timing. He loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he also knows that if you get into that thing prematurely, into that relationship prematurely, that promise comes to pass prematurely, it could take you out and it could crush you. And so he uses delay for the purpose of development so that when we step into all that he has for us, it doesn't end up taking us out. I love the words of the preacher and author, Christine Kane. She says this, do not rush out of the dark room of the divine or you will end up underdeveloped and overexposed. Come on, that's a hanky waver right there. Some of you are too young to even know what a dark room is, but those of us who went to high school and we actually took film photos, we know what she's talking about. (laughs) It's a powerful truth that sometimes God leaves you in the dark room so that you can be developed and you don't get out there too soon and end up overexposed, messed up, taken out as a result of prematurely stepping into the promise. However, we've also reminded ourselves each week that often the reason we experience delay in these areas of our journey in faith is not because of God's divine timing. Rather, it's because of our own unwillingness to do the things that God asks us to do in Scripture. It's a principle that we've identified over the last five, four weeks as the principle of prerequisite. It's written like this in Scripture. If you do this, then God will do this. If you follow my ways, if you obey what I'm asking you to do, then I will fulfill the promises in my word. Now, in keeping that principle in mind for uh, every week during this series, we've tackled another delay question, some of those big ones that, that believers face. Questions like, why am I not free yet? Why am I not fulfilled yet? Why am I not growing yet? Last week we talked about why am I not prospering yet? And today we're gonna tackle one more before we conclude. Uh, Before I tell you what it is, I'll tell you what it is not. I was talking to somebody last weekend in the lobby and they said, man, as we've been asking these questions, I just keep thinking of things. And she she said, are are we gonna do a week on why am I not married yet? 
And I'm like, honey, that sounds more like a coffee conversation than it does a sermon. I don't think you want me to tell everybody from the stage why you're not married yet. So uh, (laughs) we're not doing that one. Uh, Instead, here's what I would like to discuss this morning in our final installment of this series. Why am I not at peace yet? (laughs) Clearly it was the right one based on that sound effect. All right, yeah. Why am I not experiencing what the Bible calls peace of mind? Why don't I have this this peace that I read about in scripture? Because I think that's a a really important question we need to ask ourselves. Uh, the, the, The promise of peace is everywhere in the Bible. It's one of the most consistent and coveted promises of Jesus. As you read through his interactions with people, often when he rolls up on the scene, he, he, he uses this phrase, peace be with you. And then all the Catholics said, okay, there's a lot of you. Okay, cool. And also with you, yeah. <laughs> Even the announcement of Jesus's arrival, all the way back in the, the prophetic books of the Old Testament to the New Testament accounts, there's this promise of peace. Isaiah said that he is the one who will come and they will call him the Prince of Peace. As the angels announced to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, they said, peace now on earth for all men. Peace seems to accompany the person and the presence of Jesus everywhere we look in scripture. But, but I think one of the most clear examples of this promise is a conversation Jesus has with his disciples one day in the book of John chapter 14. And maybe you've read this scripture before, but, but he says this, peace of mind and heart I leave with you. My peace I'm going to give it to you, a peace that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Peace of mind and heart I give to you. I think all of us could say that's an amazing promise. I would love that. But I think we could also say it seems like an elusive one from time to time, doesn't it? It feels like something we read about and maybe even a carrot that is dangled, but we don't seem to have it as frequently as Scripture speaks to it. And I think that is because we face, especially in our day and age, this ever-present enemy called anxiety. Anxiety. Uh, I was reading uh, an article this last week from the National Institute of Mental Health. Don't be impressed. It was just for the sermon. I don't like casually read it. But as I was reading through the article, guys, it turns out anxiety is like super popular right now. Like, Like a lot of people have it. Uh, according to the stats, a third of our nation is suffering with diagnosed or undiagnosed anxiety disorder. Another third are dealing with crippling effects of anxiety. And the other third is probably just lying about it in the survey. (laughs) Yeah. And wherever you find yourself on that continuum, I would venture that a hundred percent of us could say, I know what it feels like to be anxious. I've experienced that crippling, vexing feeling where I just cannot think about anything else except for the object of my anxiety. It's like it haunts me. Maybe it's a a looming conversation that you have to have with somebody or an issue taking place in in your family or in your home or maybe one one of your kids is acting crazy and getting involved in some stuff that, that you don't know how to parent them out of or maybe it's a financial matter. Maybe it's a diagnosis or a health situation. Maybe it's something that's even beyond your control, just the the state of the economy right now or the the polarizing politics that are ripping people and friends and even maybe people in your family apart or the natural disasters that seem to keep coming and coming and coming, as the Bible says, birth pains that that are pointing to the return of Christ. Maybe you weren't anxious at all before you came into church, but over the last 20 seconds, as I'm talking about things, you're starting to get a little bit anxious right now. You're welcome. (laughs) This world provides plenty of opportunity for anxiety. 
Your peace is constantly under attack. And I think it is important for us to identify the source of anxiety. We need to come back and and look at why we're feeling so anxious all the time. Because listen, if we don't find it in its origin, we'll begin to normalize it. And when we normalize it, we attempt to deal with it in natural means. We'll medicate it, we'll counsel it, we'll reorchestrate the events of our life in such a way to ignore it or distract ourselves away from it. And listen, I'm not here to say that medical professionals and, and, and medicinal stuff does not play a role in mental health, but as faith people, as Jesus people, we need to come back to center and realize that this is a deeply spiritual matter. Anxiety is not just some practical problem that popped up in our modern day society. No, it is a deeply spiritual issue. Let me remind us today, I'm going to pull back the curtain in the natural and let us see in the spirit for the next couple of moments. You have a real enemy. Do not forget that you are in the middle of a fight, friends. You have an enemy that hates you. His name is Satan. He hates your family. He hates God's call on your life. He hates the fact that you're investing an hour and 15 minutes in the house of God on a Sunday morning instead of having brunch somewhere in San Francisco. He wants to do everything within his power to destroy your life. In fact, it's part of his job description. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You have an enemy that wants to destroy everything good God wants to do in your life. And you better believe that at the top of his list, the things he wants to steal from you is your peace. You better believe that he wants to take your peace from you. Why? Because ultimately he understands if he can get you vexed, Worrying about the worst possible outcome. Focused on all of these other things. The last thing you will do is focus your attention on Jesus. If he can haunt your thoughts with all of the anxious things that are surrounding you, he knows that you'll never go to the word. You'll never run to the source for peace. And he'll just keep you chasing your tail. And if that sounds like some kind of preacher talk or hyperbole or exaggeration, then let me offer just this past Tuesday as proof to what I'm saying right now. Um, We had our pursuit gathering, our monthly pursuit gathering this last uh, Tuesday night. And let me just say this. I'm so encouraged by what's happening in our pursuit gatherings right now. I remember years ago when there was barely a hundred of us in here just taking communion together and worshiping and hanging out with Jesus. And man, I looked around this last Tuesday and there are hundreds of people filling this room. Our parking lot is stacked on a random Tuesday at the beginning of a month with people just coming to lift up the name of Jesus, take communion and pray for one another. Powerful. My my pastor used to say, um, as the prayer meeting goes, so goes the church. And uh, based on our prayer meeting, I'm, I'm looking forward to where God is taking this community right now. Um, But if you were with us at this last Tuesday's pursuit gathering, you might recall a moment about 40 minutes into the service where I I stepped up onto the stage and kind of interrupted the flow of things because of something I I was feeling in that moment. Um, Not to get too weird, but this is already kind of weird what we're doing anyway, so let's just go ahead and go for it. Um, I've noticed that in the last few years that Robin and myself, the Holy Spirit has given us kind of a unique sensitivity sometimes in this room to, to feel things in the spirit that other people might be feeling in the room. It's weird. Uh, the, the best way I can describe it is we'll be in here worshiping and singing some songs and like, I'll begin to feel something in my physical body that represents what's taking place in the spirit for other individuals. And, and on Tuesday, when we were in this room, I just, I felt like there was this weight on my chest. It was just 
bearing down on my heart and on like the top part of my gut. And I just could not shake it. Like I couldn't focus. I couldn't worship. I just felt like this wet blanket in the room. And so about 40 minutes into the, to, to worshiping, I, I walked on stage and said, Hey, here's what I feel in the room right now. I don't know if anybody else is feeling this, but I want to speak to it. And I feel like we need to break through in worship. And I gave a very simple exhortation about the glory of God and how whatever we're giving attention to is getting glory. And we invited the glory of God to come in and displace whatever we were focused on. And then we sang some songs and concluded, and it was, it was a great evening. But what was interesting to me is at the conclusion of the gathering that night, five different individuals, unprovoked at different times, came up to me, people who... I would consider mature believers that know how to worship, that are not governed by their emotions and, well, I don't feel like worshiping today. I'm gonna stick my hands in my pockets, but they're gonna break through. They know how to do that. And then again, this morning, right before we started worshiping at the nine o'clock service today, someone else came up to me and they all said the same thing. Thank you for stepping up on stage and saying what you said because you brought language to something that I was feeling but could not articulate. And then each of them began to describe to me how there was an issue, a situation in their life that was causing them anxiety that was keeping them from entering into the presence of God. They're like, I just could not stop thinking about it and I wanted to worship, but I didn't know how to break through. And just the identification of that anxiety in a moment brought some freedom. Listen, doesn't that sound like something the enemy would do? This is how your adversary works, guys. You can be in the middle of a worship gathering with a bunch of believers that are in the same place at the same time for the purpose of lifting up the name of Jesus. You could have your own band on stage or in your bedroom leading you into the presence of God, but feel incapable of getting your mind's eye off of an anxious thought. And so you can't worship Jesus. You end up worshiping the thing that is keeping you anxious. Is is this resonating with anybody else today? Okay, me and seven people, that's awesome. The rest of you are just liars, that's cool. Well, let me offer some bad news, which is I know what you came to church for today. I thought it was the good news of the gospel. Here's the bad news. The reason, honestly, according to scripture, we suffer with anxiety so much is is not because we got a really cunning devil that's good at his job. It's not because he's super powerful and he's taking you out and the big bad devil under every rock is just, that's not it. Can I tell you why we suffer with anxiety so much? It's because honestly, we've made ourselves easy targets. We're not good at at guarding the peace of God in our lives. Let me offer an illustration. Um, I think I've used this before, and I apologize if uh, you've seen me do this, but it was like years and years ago at the church, so most of you weren't here, so it's gonna be brand new to you. Uh, Let's pretend you have $100 which might take some imagination for some of you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm looking at my daughter in the front row. Okay, $100. And uh, you walk out of church today, you have your donut holes in your coffee and you go out to the corner, 19th and slow it. Maybe you're gonna go by the bus stop over there and you say, hey, um, I'm gonna leave you $100 bill right here on the ground and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get you in a little bit, okay? I'm just gonna leave you there and I'll come back and get you in a little while. And maybe you go down to Stern Grove, you go to West Portal, but as you turn around to walk away, somebody comes and takes that $100 bill and shoves it into their pocket. 
Now, did they steal something from you? Yes, they took it. It was yours. They knew it was yours. They, they put it in their pocket. But is, is it because they're like really powerful? No, it's because you left it out unprotected. You just left it out there on the curb. Follow me. Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy everything God wants to do in your life. Notice that he calls him a thief and not a robber. Do, do you know the difference between a thief and a robber? You can look this up later on Google. Don't do it right now. The difference between a thief and a robber is that a robber takes something from you by force, but a thief just steals something that is left unprotected. The thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And I think that so often, this is how many of us are treating our peace. We're just leaving it out there on the corner for the enemy to do whatever he wants to do with it. Whether it is our consumption of doomsday media or the surrounding of ourselves with fatalistic friends or incessant scrolling of social media or just this cultural mindset that I'm supposed to believe for the worst possible outcome, we feed on all of our fears and we feed on all of these anxious thoughts and then we wonder why we have no peace. It's because we've left it unguarded. We're leaving it on the corner and the enemy's just coming and saying, okay, I'll go ahead and take it if you're going to leave it out unprotected. But guys, this is not how God has called us to live. You've invited the Prince of Peace to the inside of your life. He sits on the throne of your heart. You are not supposed to be governed by the shifting sands of culture or whatever problems come your way. There should be a steadfastness in your heart that says, I serve the King and his kingdom and I shall not be moved no matter what comes my way. There is a peace that has been promised to us. But if we're going to experience it, we need to guard it. We need to keep watch over it. In our remaining moments, I want to talk about how we do that. Uh, let, me, let me do this real quick. Um, anybody get a bill to this week that you're wondering how you're going to pay and you could use a little help right now? Anybody? Come on, be honest. I saw that hand go up back there. There we go. This is yours, okay? I'm coming to give you $100. <laughs> I need a runner next time. Yeah. Like an actual runner, not just, yeah. Okay. So here's the deal with peace. Like everything else we've discussed in this series, it follows the pattern of prerequisite. There is something required of us. <laughs> and that prerequisite is laid out in, um, I think a portion of scripture that many of you have probably read or quoted before. And uh, we're going to unpack it a little bit deeper today. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven says this. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But based on what Paul says here, I see two things, two responsibilities we have in this guarding of our peace. Number one is this, you got to pray. You got to pray. And I would add this, you have to pray correctly. You have to pray correctly. Now, like I said, many of you've probably heard this scripture before. Maybe you've quoted it before. Maybe you have it written on a sticky note on your, uh, on your, your mirror in the bathroom or stitched into a pillow on your couch or tattooed or somewhere on your forehead. Like maybe you've, you've heard this and you've quoted it. And rightfully so, it's a popular scripture. 
in a society like ours where anxiety is rampant, and you hear like an opening of a scripture say, don't be anxious about anything. Your ears perk up and you're like, okay, tell me how I'm supposed to do that. Like, it makes sense that it's a popular scripture. But despite the frequency in which I've heard this, this scripture quoted, I rarely hear it quoted correctly. Let me say it like this. I rarely hear it quoted in its full context. Most people end up watering it down or abbreviating it to say this. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. Just, just don't be anxious. Just pray. Which is good advice for sure. But I know plenty of people that pray and are still really, really anxious. <laughs> I've prayed and I've still been really, really anxious. And that's not how the scripture ends. It doesn't end with don't be anxious, just pray. There's more to the story. And Paul begins to tell us that there appears to be a right way and a wrong way to pray if we're going to experience this peace that God has promised to us. Look, look again at what he says. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then look at this. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Then, really important word, then you will experience God's peace. According to Paul, petition alone is insufficient. Simply telling God what you need or what you don't want to be anxious about is, is not going to solve the problem. That petition must be preceded by thanksgiving. There must be a heart of gratitude that is followed by the lips speaking out the good things of God before you begin to ask him for relief from anxiety. Now, I, of course, that's a simple thing to say, but let's be honest, that's a pretty counterintuitive thing to do, right? When you are vexed with anxiety, when you are riddled with those thoughts, the very last thing we think to do in that moment is, I'm going to be grateful right now. That is a very unnatural thing to do. Lord, I thank you for all the horrible things that I'm facing right now. It just doesn't feel natural. So, so why would God ask us to do something that seems so counterintuitive? Well, for starters, it's gratitude that gets you into the presence of God. Psalm 100 says we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter into his courts with praise. The very gateway to the presence of God is gratitude. It's thanksgiving. If we don't know how to be thankful then we're never going to enter into his presence. And if the peace that we're discussing today is a supernatural peace that the world can't offer, then it stands to reason we're going to need to figure out how to get into his presence if we're going to access it. So, so it gets us into the presence of God. But I think the greater reason Paul tells us here that thanksgiving must precede our requests is because ultimately gratitude gives you the gift of perspective. When you remain thankful, when you begin to speak out of your heart the, the gratitude for the things that God has done in your life, suddenly you begin to see your current problem through the lens of his past faithfulness. Suddenly you begin to realize this problem is not that much different than the last problem that God got me through. I know that I'm freaking out and I know that I'm anxious, but when I really stop and think about it for a moment, man, this is not a unique situation. This looks a lot like the last situation I found myself in. 
God, I thank you that the last time I was lacking resources, you provided for every single one of my needs. God, I thank you that the last time I started playing out the worst possible outcome, you reminded me that my fears were never going to materialize and you worked all things for my good. God, I thank you last time that I started searching the web and looking at WebMD because I thought I was going to die with that sickness, that you healed me and now I've been restored and I'm set my feet back on a rock. I thank you that last time you did something and if you did it then, come on, then you will do it. Again, it's perspective. Gratitude gives you a new lens to see your problem by. And listen, if you're new on the journey of faith, I'll say something I've said many times before. If you don't have a story to call back on, to hearken back on a God's goodness, that's okay. You can borrow a story. You can borrow a blessing. There's a whole book full of stories that recount God's faithfulness that were written down so that you could look back at his faithfulness throughout history and say, if he did it for them, then he can do it for me. Come on, there is chapter and verse for every situation you face in this book. God, I thank you that you rescued the Israelites after 400 years of slavery. And I might feel bound right now, but you're still a deliverer. God, I thank you that you made a way through the waters. And when it seemed impossible, you opened up the very sea so that your people could walk over. God, I thank you that you provided for a widow in a time of famine. I thank you that you healed the leper. You opened the blind eyes. You raised the dead. You are a good God and you are able to do what you've promised. Gratitude provides perspective. And I think so, so many times we miss that prerequisite and so we don't experience his peace. But there's a second aspect to this as well. While the prayer must, yes, start with gratitude, it must also end a specific way. And I think that the prayer must end with surrender. It must end with surrender. Let me demonstrate how I think many of us do prayer. Um, this is a Care Bear. And let's pretend that this is your anxious thought, the problem that you're facing, the thing that's keeping you up. By the way, in the scriptures, uh, the word cares and anxieties are the same. They're the same word in the Greek. And so your cares... <laughs> This is your anxious thought. This is how many of us treat it in this time of prayer. Okay, Father, I thank you for what you've done. You've been faithful. Okay, I got the right perspective. And now, Lord, I, I offer this situation up to you. I, I leave this at your feet. I got lots of problems. And Lord, I, I just don't know what to do with this person and the relationship. It's blowing up. So God, I pray about it. Would you make me less anxious in Jesus' name? And then after we pray about it, we pick it back up. And we carry our cares back into our life. We pray about it, but we don't surrender it. We pray about it, but then we leave and we try to strategize and work some way into fixing it. And okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I can figure this thing out. And, you know, I can, I can read some, some blogs and we carry it still. But listen to me, that is not the aim of prayer. Prayer is not visitation rights for your problems. It's not where we just let our anxieties and our cares hang out with God for a little bit and then we take them back into our own possession. No, the purpose of prayer is to surrender all of your anxieties to Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your anxieties. Cast all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 
You know what that word cast means? In the, in the Greek, it is the word epiripto. And it literally means to throw. To throw some stuff at Jesus. That's what prayer is supposed to be. This is what prayer is supposed to look like. Jesus, I can't handle this girl anymore, okay? She's messing me up. I don't know what to do. I thank you that you've been faithful to me, but I cannot handle this any longer. And so I am going to cast this thing at your feet. I'm going to leave it there in the place of prayer. God, I don't know how to deal with it any longer, but I thank you that the scriptures say that you hold the heart of a king in your hand. So I'm done trying to cling to this thing on my own. I'm casting it at your feet. You're welcome, baby. Lord, this situation at work, it's taken me out. I don't know how to deal with it. But God, you, you can deal with my boss if I can't deal with my boss. You know the economic state of things and you promised that you would protect me in times of trouble. So I'm not holding on to this job, white knuckled and trying to fix it myself. I am casting my cares upon you. God, this diagnosis, it's a big one. (laughs) It's a big one. All jokes aside, man, I know people in this community right now that are life and death. They've got a diagnosis that shy of a miracle, they will be meeting Jesus. Even in our own family, we are still dealing with my daughter's situation with the blood clot in her portal vein that is not feeding blood to her, her liver like it's supposed to. And it's a big diagnosis that we do not know how to heal. But if doctors can't fix it and I can't fix it, then carrying my cares out of the place of prayer is not going to do me any good. I have to arrive at a place where I say, you are the divine healer. You formed her together in her mother's womb. You know every square inch of her body. And I refuse to try to fix this on my own. I am casting my cares at Jesus. Oh, the uncertainty about my future. I just don't know where things are going to go. How many does he have in there? The plans, God, I don't know, but I'm casting these things at your feet. Oh, the financial matter that I don't know how to deal with. God, you're the provider. You you own the cattle on a thousand hills. I cannot provide for myself, and so I chuck it at you. That's what prayer is supposed to look like. And I know that looks cute, and it's a fun illustration, but let's be honest. Sometimes, even when we leave it, they kind of make their way back to us, don't they? Like, wait a minute, I thought I gave you to Jesus already. (laughs) Hey, the strategy remains the same. You just keep chucking every single one of those cares at the feet of Jesus over and over and over and over again until you experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm going to need those back for the next service, please. (laughs) Bring those to the altars at the end. That'd be great. I told Robin, I'm like, if somebody saw my Amazon order list, they would think I'm a psychopath. Like, what is a grown man doing with eight Care Bears? I don't, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. Thank him for what he's done. Tell him what you need and just throw it at his feet. Leave it there. Do not carry your cares. You were not designed to do that. Only he can. Then you will experience his peace. But I said there was two. So there's one additional aspect that I think we need to be aware of in this text. It's less of a practice, more of an understanding. And it's going to sound simple, but please don't miss the truth of this statement because of its simplicity. And it's this. 
True peace is only available in Jesus. Let me me emphasize the word. True peace. Not circumstantial. Not worldly, but true peace is only available in Jesus. If you were to just close your eyes for a moment and think about that word peace, what image comes to mind? Maybe you see someone sitting on a beach in a lounge chair with an umbrella drink and the waves are coming. That sounds really good actually right now. Just peace. Or maybe you're the outdoorsy type and you see yourself standing on top of a mountain looking out over God's creation and there's no noise pollution, just peace. Or maybe a person that you know comes to mind, someone who's very carefree, just kind of goes with the flow, kind of that surfer squint and like nothing seems to move them. They're like, it's all good, bro, yeah. Like, what are you smoking? And do you have some more? (laughs) What image comes to mind when you think about peace? And all of those are great, but that is not the peace we're talking about. It is not an ignorance of what's happening around you, a pleasant circumstance that is fleeting. It's a much deeper peace that God promises to us. One more time back to this text, and I'll invite the worship team to come as we prepare to conclude. But look at what we've underlined here and made as obvious as we can in the text. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then you will experience God's peace. God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live where? In Christ Jesus. His peace. It sounds a lot like the language that Jesus uses in John 14. My peace I leave to you. And the peace I offer to you, nobody else in this world can offer. What Jesus says and what Paul alludes to here is that this peace is not some euphoric state of mind. It's not the orchestration of events where you're not having to deal with trauma and difficulty any longer. It's deeper than that. It's a God peace. Apparently, the the peace that surpasses understanding and the peace that's going to guard our hearts and minds, it's something that is only available in God. He possesses it. It is His peace. Which causes me to ask a very simple question. What is God's peace? Maybe like this. What is the source of God's peace? What makes his peace so much different than everything else that this world has to offer? Pleasant circumstances, beaches, mountaintops. What's different about his peace? What is it? Well, the theologian Spurgeon, he says it like this. God's peace is the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God. Whew, that's beautiful. Sometimes I read the old guys and I'm like, man, they are so smart. No one's going to quote our modern day theologians like them. (laughs) hundred years from now, the Gen Z theologian, Madison, him slash he. God is super lit. Real talk fam. (laughs) The unruffled serenity, eternal composure. I love that. Unruffled serenity. Why is God so unruffled? 
Why is he so eternally composed? Why doesn't anything move him? Maybe it's because of his foreknowledge. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. And so he cannot be worried about tomorrow or anxious about what might take place because he knows tomorrow. As the preachers have said, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know the one who holds tomorrow. Maybe it's his foreknowledge that keeps him at peace. Maybe it's his omniscience. He knows everything. So there is no situation that will arise, no problem that will come up against that he does not have an answer for. Maybe it's his all sufficiency, his, his unlimited resource. He's never worried about whether he's gonna have enough. He created all of it to begin with. The earth is his ottoman, as the scriptures say. If he had a lack, he would just speak a word and suddenly there would be more than enough to deal with the situation. Maybe it's his infinite power. The fact that at the mention of his name, those above the earth and on the earth and below the earth bow a knee and confess that he is Lord. That by the words of his mouth, the galaxies were formed and the oceans got their boundaries and the cedar splits in half and the oak twists and the word of the Lord can take anything out. The reason God is so eternally composed and so unruffled is because he's God. Nothing moves him. There is no problem greater than him. No situation that he cannot address in a moment with his word. And as if we've won some spiritual lottery, he says, I'm offering my peace to you. The peace that is rooted in my sufficiency and my omniscience and my all-powerful ways, I'm giving it to you. If, if you live in Christ, what did the scripture say? His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you, to the degree in which you live in Christ. Translation, you gotta stay close to Jesus. I know this is simple. Do not miss it because of its simplicity. You gotta stay close to Jesus. Peace is in proximity. You cannot live at a distance. Visit God occasionally and experience this kind of peace. I would love to tell you that if you came to church a couple times a month on a Sunday, hung out for an hour and 15 minutes, that you would have the peace we're talking about today but that would be a lie. It would help. Coming to church is really important. You gain perspective in the house of God as you lift up your voice, but Monday's anxieties are waiting and you gotta stay close. I would love to tell you that if you came down here today at the conclusion of the service and you prayed with one of our intercessors and they rebuked peace, or excuse me, uh, anxiety in the name of Jesus, that you'd walk out of here and you would have peace from now on, but that's probably not true. You might get anxious even as they're praying. Like, gosh, he's praying for a really long time and the donut holes are usually gone when I get out there. And so I just don't know. It'll help. It, it, the prayer will help. Bible says where two or three agree together on anything here on earth that shall be done in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's powerful to pray with other people. But that doesn't negate the fact that you got to stay close if you want this peace. And I can think of no more appropriate way to conclude the series that we have been in for the last four weeks than to say this, stay close. Everything you need is in Jesus. 
The freedom you're longing for is in Jesus. The fulfillment that you need is in Jesus. The growth that you're longing for is in Jesus. The prosperity you want for your life is in Jesus. And the peace you are looking for is found in thanking Him for what He's done, telling Him what you need, casting your cares on Him, and then remaining in Jesus. It's simple, but it'll change your life. Let me pray. Bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for um, this word, the shalom, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I thank you that you offered it freely to us. You said, my peace, I'm leaving with you. And Jesus, in the same way that you made that invitation to your disciples, I pray that it would be like Jesus is in the room right here with us today saying, I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. Individually walking around, handing it out to us. I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. May we experience this peace that surpasses understanding. God, I pray for those whose lives are right now haunted by some anxiety, situation at work, a situation at home. Lord, right now, as they just even take a deep breath in. Would they leave that thing at the feet of Jesus and trust that you are able to deal with it? We thank you. We love you today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.